All right, welcome to our first ever UAR Caucus podcast. My name is Kate Klunt, and I am the Government Affairs Director here at UAR, and with me is... Alyssa Daly, the Campaign Services Director, here for all of your election needs. Yeah, and uh, we're here talking to ourselves in these microphones because we thought it'd be fun to put a podcast together for our favorite nerds. That's you guys. That's you guys. And mostly we're hoping that this will just keep you up to date on the legislative and policy things going on and also give us a chance to interview and highlight some cool people and policies. I mean, not cooler than us, but pretty cool. Close, close. During this session, we'll bring you a weekly recap. So if you're not joining us for legislative committee, you can join us here. This will be shorter, probably only like 15 minutes versus our like 18 hours. (laughs) Nice. Okay, well, should I kick us off with a little recap of what we talked about in government ops? Yeah, so we're just going to give you our October interim update. And we'll try to do one of these every month that we have interim in addition to the session. And uh, yeah, Alyssa got stuck in government ops this month. I get stuck in government ops nearly every month. And it's really fun for me because they'll have a crazy long agenda where they make endless technical changes. And there's usually only one really exciting thing happening. And I think they do this on purpose, but they put that one really exciting thing uh, at the bottom of the agenda, usually. They trick us all into staying for the technical changes. So I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to put the really exciting stuff (laughs) at the end and tell you guys about a few technical changes. Yeah, it's kind of like the pay it forward kindness, only pay it forward tedium. Exactly, exactly. So a couple of things. Um, We went over five different pieces of potential legislation. They kicked it off with elections revisions. And I'm going to cherry pick a little bit. I'm not going to be as cruel as the GovOps committee is. In election revisions, if you're a member of a party, there are lots of parties, not just two, even though we like to pretend there are only two. And that third party that you're a member of, or maybe even your main party, keep your fingers crossed, that doesn't happen, loses its party registration. So this can happen. Your party has to meet certain standards to be considered an official party with the state. If they don't meet those requirements, they lose their registration, and then it leaves you, the weary voter, unaffiliated. What this technical change did is just said the state's going to notify you that you have lost your party affiliation and invite you to affiliate or remain unaffiliated, but you automatically become an unaffiliated voter and then they give you the opportunity to reaffiliate. Um, fun story. One time my sister said that she registered as an independent and I was like, you can't do that. That's just unaffiliated. Turns out she had registered for the Independent American Party Adorable. or the IAP. Adorable. I think there's like 12 of them and Would they're you- all accidental <laughs> registrants. <laughs> And yet somehow they keep their party registration. So good for them. Uh, Then we went over some elections modification. Uh, This was a fun... uh, Technical change? Yeah, yeah. This fun fun technical technical change. change. That old oxymoron. It was a fun technical change. So in state code, the lieutenant governor is referred to as a man. And we, in fact, have a lady lieutenant governor right now. So they just got rid of all pronouns in state code and just referred to the lieutenant governor by 
their title, lieutenant governor. The lieutenant governor actually brought this to the attention of the legislature and She's asked like, them to hey fix guys, it. I'm a girl. I I kind of kind of appreciated it. Anyway, so that's the that's the fun thing with elections modifications, if we can call it that. Voting history amendments, we talked about that a little bit. I don't know if my fellow nerds have been paying attention to all of the voter fraud accusations that have been flying around the country. Utah is not immune. We have some voters that have some questions about that. And one of the reasons is because some voters classify their information as private, which means they still get a ballot and they still vote. And the election results show that they voted and their vote was counted. Uh, But if you pull a file of all registered voters, their information is not there. And so what happened, we have some super nerds living around this state that want to verify election results themselves. I don't know why they do this, but they do. (laughs) I I don't know why you would do this for fun. But this is how they spend their weekends. Because it would take quite a while. And they... They request a full voter file from the state. They total up the voters and then they say, hey, this does not match the number of ballots that you say were cast. Somebody's making up votes. That's not the case. We just have a group of people. I think we're about 25% of people that uh, keep their voter information private from the public. So uh, the reason this is an issue and the reason we're talking about it is because these people have qualified their personal information to be so private that even their elected officials cannot contact them. Anyway, so we're trying to fix it. We're trying to balance voter privacy with the ability of people running for office to inform voters that they are running for office and they would like their vote. And I imagine there are legitimate reasons for wanting to keep your information private. Absolutely. Domestic abuse, witness protection, running from the mob. All of the above are legitimate reasons <laughs> why you would want to protect. No, we actually did talk about that a lot, especially the domestic violence issue that you mentioned. There are individuals that don't want their address anywhere at all that um, somebody that they need their information to pry from could potentially have access to. And so they are taking that privacy aspect of it very seriously because there can be some serious ramifications for somebody's personal address just being on a excel spreadsheet somewhere i guess somewhere is the county clerk's office but the 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 issue is we're now at like 25 percent of voters that aren't receiving any sort of voter communications except for getting their ballot in the mail and that can have some pretty big impacts especially in close elections in some of our swing districts i know we live in a super majority state but we actually have a handful of swing districts where this could make a, a big difference for a candidate and we were talking off the pod and you had said that, you know, your your voter history should be private. And it is. It tells us whether or not you vote, not who you vote for. But the voting is a public act. And I like the way you frame that because it, it means a lot to us that people vote, particularly realtors, but that everybody participates. And it means even more that they are educated voters. And it's really hard to help a candidate get their message across or even just to encourage people to get out the vote if you don't have access to that information. You're not really asking for who they voted for because nobody has that info, just whether or not they voted and who I can send my mail piece to. So here's my pitch. If you are listening to this and you're listed as a private voter, 
do us a favor and uncheck that box because legislators want to communicate with you and it's pretty much the only way they know how aside from trying to drop by your house and even then they'd have to knock every door because now they don't even know where you live we've seen an uptick in this percentage and that's why it's finally become an issue because a few years back it was a little more difficult to put your information in that privacy bucket. Now it's very easy. I'm not going to tell you how to do it because I know some of you listening are going to go do it just to spite me. Um, So figure it out yourself. Uh, But it is pretty easy. And all of this like voter fraud conversation that's happening has made people very uh, hesitant about being on a voter list, even though like five people like me use it once a year to contact Well, and you. most of it is information that you've made public in other ways. Yes. For yep. the most part, by through county records or Facebook even. You can't steal someone's identity by getting your hands on a voter file. No. And I will just say one last time for the kids in the back, we don't know who you voted for. Um, tell your friends. They don't They don't know. They just know that you voted. Um, and... And that's you would an awesome be amenable thing. to receiving information in the future. That's it, all we know. I, not everyone's like us, though, where they put their I voted sticker and then post a picture of themselves wearing it literally on every social media platform they possibly could. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we don't have a clear solution yet on how we're going to deal with that. But feel safe knowing there are no ghost v- voters running around yes. Utah, no matter the spooky season. And uh, we don't know who you voted for. Take those two things to heart. That's a takeaway. That's pretty much all all I've got from government ops. So Awesome. Okay, so while Alyssa was toiling away in government ops, I was over in political subdivisions hearing from the Quality Growth Commission. Um, They were giving a report. I mean, we're at one of our last interim meetings of the year. And so this was pretty much just a rundown of what everybody's been working on so far, which is why you get all of their proposed bills for the legislative session or all of their end of the year reports or updates. If you're not familiar, the Quality Growth Commission is something that the legislator started back in 1999. Uh, It's got 13 members from local governments, state agencies, the private sector. We actually have a realtor that sits on the Quality Growth Commission, which is cool. Shout and, out to Sam. <laughs> yeah, shout out to Sam. And the purpose is was in the beginning to really help state and local entities plan better. And over time, it's kind of evolved into them overseeing grants. And lately, they've been focused on the conservation of open lands. And part of that is because we know now better that smart growth our favorite thing to talk about, involves preserving open space, along with making sure that you have a diversity of housing and good infrastructure and transportation. Um, And so they were pretty much just giving a list of the projects they've worked on so far. And I thought they were kind of neat. So I'll tell you about a few of them. One of them is Kohler Dairy over in Heber. Um, So they had a grant and some matching funds from the private sector to preserve Kohler Dairy. And it's still a functioning dairy, but now elementary schools can go take a tour. There's a little section where they can learn about the history of dairy in Heber at this particular farm and just kind of about the dairy industry in general which is cool because it would be sad to lose a piece of that little Heber Valley. And um, a few of the other ones they've worked on are preserving Jordan River and the trails around there, Higby Ranch, uh, Bonneville Shoreline Trail over in Cottonwood Heights. And these mostly just preserve working agricultural, like farms, dairies, and their history, as well as water sources, some trails and some recreation spots. So if you're interested, their report is online. They're doing good work. 
preserving open space. And then after them, we listened to the land use task force update. And this task force has been around for like 15 years. And they meet in the off season to talk about land issues that you really can't get to during the 45 day session. They require longer conversations, more research. Some of these are multi-year, some of them are just multi-month. That includes members of the League of Cities and Towns, people from the private sector like Ivory Homes, um, people from the counties, and then our Housing Affordability Commission members, some of them. And the Housing Affordability Commission members are new-ish. That commission's only been around for about three years. Um, But they've been working on three main issues and they gave their report. Their first is inclusionary zoning which is gonna be a big issue this legislative session. They have not come to any agreement, not surprisingly, with the members that I listed who sit on this task force, but it is something that they're having some pretty serious conversations about. Lots of people do it well. Um, They do it pretty frequently in Park City and other parts of the country. Lots of people do it poorly as well. And so I think they're trying to strike the right balance, but that is just something to keep on your radar as a topic that we'll be talking about pre-legislative session, during the legislative session, and probably after the legislative session. For the rest of time, we will be talking about affordable housing. Yeah. And then uh, their second issue is housing and economic development and the nexus of those two things. I think that now more than ever, we're seeing how these economic incentives bring businesses and people and those people need places to live. And we haven't really made that part of the planning process in the past. So they're having discussions about retail incentives, local economic opportunity zones, and we're talking a lot about tax increment financing. Um, And then the last thing they're talking about is the moderate income housing plan. And if you remember SB 34, 54, SB 34, not 54, that was a a different nightmare. Um, (laughs) SB 34 was passed like three years ago and that updated the moderate income housing plan to require cities to implement a number of items from a menu on affordable housing and they had to do that in order to get transportation funds. The task force has just been kind of go, going through and seeing what we're requiring of them if what we're requiring is working, if it's not working. And then they're having discussions about like, we already have the stick where if you don't do the moderate income housing plan, you don't get transportation money. But where's the carrot, I think is what they're asking. And so if you do more, if you go above and beyond, how are you rewarded? And how can we kind of encourage cities to do that? And then, you know, I was so excited because I thought we were going to talk about the Affordable Housing Commission. And then we just talked about the amendments and it was nothing interesting. It was just making the commission a permanent thing. So I mentioned earlier that it started about three years ago. I think they've come to realize that this is not a fleeting issue and we'll be talking about it for years to come. So they kind of gave it its own place. It's now a subcommittee of the Unified Economic Opportunity Commission within the government governor's office of economic opportunity. Can you say that three times fast? I can't even us? say it one time. <laughs> you, you got but, there. But it's in GOEO now. So it's a permanent thing. We're looking forward to talking about that also for the rest of time. Yeah, I do think that you you made this point, but I'm going to make it again. It's okay. Uh, these task force is. <laughs> the plural task these, force. The task forces 
do eventually result in legislation and there is a lot of hard work and negotiating that happens outside of that 45 days. So going back to your SB 54 example. 34. I don't the, know oh, no. Oh, wow. Okay. SB 34, the moderate income housing plans. When you have something like the land use task force that brings all of these different stakeholders to the table, it makes the session go sometimes a bit smoother because we've we've all had yeah. it out prior to that. And if you're not following along, it can seem like a surprise that we're talking about inclusionary zoning when really we've been talking about it for like three years within these task forces. And that's part of the reason we wanted to bring you this podcast. These things happen and sometimes we don't have the time or inclination to track all of their meetings or everything that they're working on. So hopefully this has given you a good start before our legislative session starts for an interim update and a policy update. And we're really looking forward to having some more people on and doing this more regularly. And I hope that it was helpful. If it wasn't, don't tell me. It was just really an opportunity for us to pretend to be podcast hosts so uh we'll see you in january uh stay tuned for more fun nerd stuff and with that i'll entertain a motion to adjourn so moved bye bye